This morning, uh, I'm amazed at the continuity that I'm feeling between what has already occurred in the meeting and what I want to talk about today, uh, which is really to promote, I guess, uh, an ongoing Lectio Divina around the meaning of the crucifixion of Jesus and uh, what is the heart of the Christian imagination. Um, It would be my contention that we are living in times of an impoverished imagination, a distorted imagination, uh, where people dream dreams and envision visions which are shaped by truth, goodness, beauty, by something that's holistic, uh, that's not perverse, that's not self-centred, um, and I want to suggest for us as Christians, and this is one artist's impression of the crucifixion of Jesus, that right at the heart of our imagination uh, is what we make of this devastating and yet glorious event in history, the dying of the Messiah. And uh, for that reflection today, and can I say in the short time we have Please take this as stepping into a deep pool. Um, Go home and read and think and sit and pray and contemplate. Um, I'm taking one short passage of scripture in Galatians chapter 6, 11 to 18 today for this. It seems to me that uh, this quotation from a woman named Susan Neiman is uh, useful. She says in a book where she's exploring evil, we're always trying to determine just what in the world we can trust. When the ground disappears from under our feet, anyone may incline to say very little. Um, Neiman writes these words when she's reflecting on what she considers the event that started the modern era. In other words, a definitive World event about which most of us today, I certainly didn't know anything. It was Sunday, November the 1st in 1755, All Saints Day, and around Europe and particularly in Portugal, in the capital Lisbon, people were at church praying. Six great cathedrals, a city of 250,000, probably a quarter of them or so, in church, one of the most religious capitals of Europe at the time. And on that occasion, an earthquake, which lasted fully 10 minutes, was followed by a tsunami and then by fires, shook the capital, destroyed the capital. It was felt as far away as France, Italy, Switzerland and North Africa. A killer wave flowed across the city 50 feet high. Fires burnt and raged for hours. 60,000 people were killed. And for Susan Neiman and for others who are looking at the shape of the modern mind, this was the single greatest event that made people say, how can you trust God? Does he actually care? Is he powerful in the face of such disasters? All Saints Day. Everyone's in church, praying and praising God. 60,000 burned, drowned, crushed in the falling buildings. Neiman contends in her book that the Lisbon earthquake 
shocked Western civilization and the Western mind greater than any event since the fall of Rome. She compares it in its impact with Auschwitz and Hiroshima for more recent history. In her mind, what happened in 1755 meant that the old trust, the old faith was no longer tenable, that now there was doubt and suspicion. God was either not good or not powerful. We lived in a world where trusting was more difficult. Of course, in New Zealand's history, Napier, 1931, Tuesday, February the 3rd, the first day of the new school year, was an equally devastating event. At exactly 46 minutes and 46.3 seconds, after 10am that morning, the world changed for the 30,000 people in the Hawke's Bay region. The earthquake, the fires, 250 were killed. And when you read the literature around that event, it's the same thing. Nothing will be the same again. It's a new norm. Everything's changed forever. The past, now the future. And the separation between what is past and what it's like now is a devastating event. More recently, as we all know, for Christchurch, we have the same language again. A new norm. Nothing will be the same again. The old has passed away. The new has begun. A devastating event that has shaken people's lives. The city will never be the same again. It's different now, people say. The roads are different. The shops are different. Schedules and times are different. Memory is different. Relationship is different. Friends of ours who've been to six or seven funerals who knew 13 who were killed, it will never be the same again. And between what used to be and what it is now, a devastating event. Everything is different now. Something happened which separates or barriers or signifies the old and the new. Susan Neiman's words, I think, are crucial to hear well as people in the 21st century try to make sense of who you can trust. And when we go to the book of Galatians in the New Testament, particularly this morning, chapter 6, this way of thinking, this something has happened to separate the old from the new. Something has passed away. Something has come into being. That's exactly Paul's frame for thinking about Jesus and the meaning of the crucifixion. And if we can get in our minds this idea that the past is over, the present is different, there is a new norm, then our imagination will be caught up in the absolute critical imagination of the cross that ought to shape everything about us. Let's go to the passage. I hope you can see it. I've come to love Galatians 6. It's 11 to 18. And I'll only be able to touch briefly on it this morning. But when the apostle starts, see how he says here, he writes, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. 
It's as though at the end of what is a difficult letter, uh, a letter of rebuke, really, a letter where he's got some pretty harsh things to say to the church, he takes the pen, he takes the stylus, and perhaps his sight is failing, perhaps he's emphasising, but he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. This is not just summary. This is passionate emphasis. He's developed an argument. It's been passionately written. He's had a secretary put it down. But now he takes the stylus and says, I want to say in summary, in emphasis, again, what it's all about. So at the end of the letter, we've got a passage which is golden in scripture and this is what he writes it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh It might not sound exciting to us, but this is the issue of the first century as far as the fledgling Christian church is concerned. And earlier in his letter, Paul has said, the fullness of time has come. Somehow the ages have collided. There is a devastating change in the wind. And he paints it like this. He says, humans once were children. Once they were in captivity, once they needed minders, guardians, managers, tutors. Once the past was ruled by elementary spirits and first principles, the basics. But he says that era of history is over now. There is a maturity, there is a university, there is a welcome into newness And the petty past rulers, the kid minders of the past have been overthrown. He paints it like that. And in this passage, he says that that past era was characterized by two things. First of all, he names circumcision, the flesh, the law, as the sort of characteristics of what's all past, externalities. Self-interest, self-effort. He names these as petty despots, past despots. And he says what they gave rise to when we were all babies was this language around boasting and good show. He says the world of the first century has been characterized by pride, by arrogance, by boastfulness, by self-interest. And consequently, he says in his letter, it's being characterized by hostility, by superiority, by exclusion, by locking people out, by violence, by separation. And this idea of boastfulness and hostility is interesting to me because it surfaced recently in Miroslav Volf's comment on the 21st century. He says, look at the world 
what's it characterized by? And he says it's characterized by persistent enmity and petty boastfulness. Same things named by Volfer for the 21st century as Paul was naming for the 1st century. He says, you human beings live like babies. You're interested in boasting and good show and that makes you hostile and rejecting and excluding of others. It's all about your self-interest and your boastfulness. It's all about your arrogance and your showing off. It's all about style, not character. It's all about exclusion and superiority, not unity and inclusion. Paul writes about this in many of his letters, but what he wants to say is that the era of boasting, the era of exclusion, of good show, of me against everybody else, that era is for babies. And what has changed? What has brought in a more mature way of being human? Well, in the next verse, he says this. The greatest text in Pauline scripture as far as I'm concerned. Far be it from me, he says, to boast. Except in the cross. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he says this, by which... The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And let's not generalize and lift this away from the first century. Let me read it uh, perhaps with a little bit more first century context. Let me say it like this. Far be it from me, a person with every reason in the world to boast. Well educated, well born. I had status, I had wealth. I was in the world of boasting, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast, except now in this cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world of boasting, the world of exclusion, the world of hostility, the world of petty dreams and persistent enmity, that world, that world of doing deals, that world of um, boasting about your patron, of making money, that world of trying to climb... That world has been crucified to me, he says. And I, the independent, boastful, arrogant Paul of yesteryear, the Saul of yesteryear, well, I've been crucified to that God. Far be it. May it never be, he says, by way of contrast. And in this passage, he speaks about three crucifixions. The event of Christ's crucifixion, the crucifixion of the world to him and the crucifixion of himself to the world. You see why our imagination has to be caught up by a deep, deep reflection on what's the crucifixion all about. And this is shocking, completely scandalous what he's saying. In the world of Paul's day, The Latin word for cross or crucifixion was never uttered in polite company. The Romans had a euphemism, quote, somebody would be hanged on the unlucky tree. They wouldn't even mention the cross at a dinner table or in polite company. It was shameful, detestable, disgusting. 
It was brutal, not to be mentioned in polite company at all. And Paul says, look, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to start talking about the cross at dinner parties. I'm going to talk about the dying of Jesus, the brutal, gory crucifixion of Jesus in polite company. This is scandalous. No wonder, as Paul says elsewhere, for Jews this was a scandal, offensive, a stumbling block. And for Greeks, well, this was nonsense, absurdity. Why? Because they were still living in the old era. They hadn't transitioned into this new now, this new norm that humanity is invited into through God's grace. And in the text, the triple crucifixion is explicated. The crucified Christ, the crucified world, and the crucified Paul. The event of Jesus has changed everything. A fundamental rupture has occurred. Having trusted in Christ, Paul says, the world of boasting and rank and status, the world of division, of hostility, of exclusion, the old order, that world, he says, I'm not living there anymore. And I, he says, well, I've also been crucified to the world. Earlier on in Galatians, he's already written, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Christ, Paul lives a whole new humanness in a whole new world. Everything has changed. And it might sound as though Paul is somehow exiting the world. It might sound as though he's saying, I've turned my back on the first century and I will have nothing more to do with anything. I'm going to become a hermit. But that's exactly not what he's saying. Because look at the next text. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. He says it's not that everything has come to an end, but everything is new. The old has passed away. There's been a devastating event. There's a new norm. There's a new future. There's a new humanity. There's a new world. And so Paul goes straight from the dying of Jesus, the dying of the world, the dying of himself to the world. He goes straight to the fact that it's not an end or a termination, but a renewal, a whole new world. The stuff that used to matter doesn't matter, but something new matters. Having dethroned powers, having unseated tyrants, petty despots that they were, Christ risen is ushering in new creation. And look at what Paul does. He takes an Old Testament blessing, peace and mercy upon all who walk by this rule, even upon the Israel of God. And he says, remember those texts from the Old Testament scriptures, the Psalms, the prophets, well, they've come through into the new order in bigger fashion than ever before. The new order, he says, the new creation is not marked 
by boastfulness and hostility, by violence, rejection, exclusion and self-interest, it's marked by peace. Shalom. Justice. Reconciliation. And mercy from God upon the people of the new creation. Paul understands that it's not that we turn our back on all things, but we participate in the renewal of all things and we put aside the childish stuff and start to live out of the mature freedom that is in Christ. And Paul then continues to live, as he says at the end of this passage, bearing in his body the marks of Jesus between the commencement of this newness and its completion when Christ returns. Paul knew love, grace, mercy and peace. He also knew longing, waiting, struggling, wrestling and anticipation. And so waiting and longing is a crucial dimension of spirituality. And might I say we don't talk nearly enough about how to wait well, about waiting as a spiritual discipline and even disappointment as a spiritual discipline. Because though we're in the newness of this maturity in Christ, it's not yet fully arrived until Christ returns. Many of the challenges we face in the 21st century are not new at all in some ways. They're new versions of the old immaturities. They're new ploys of the dethroned petty tyrants. Their new attempts to capture the imagination of a 21st century citizen around boastfulness and hostility involves terms around a selfish preoccupation with one's rights and a profound lack of care for others and often enmity against others. Volf names those preoccupations as petty dreams and persisting enmities. But they erupt, don't they, into terrible and destructive forces in our cultures. It strikes me that we as people of the new creation and people of the cross have to fight day by day by day as to what does it look like to live out of this new creation, this new humanness. So let me give you some characteristics, I think, of the way we need to name ourselves. First of all, and here's the Christian imagination, we've got to name ourselves as shaped by the dying of Jesus, as crucified ones, both co-crucified and cruciform moment by moment, day by day, throughout the rhythms of our lives. We are crucified ones, Paul says. We're with Jesus at the cross and our choices and our habits and our practices each day from now on, are shaped by the cross and its meaning. The passage Reuben read earlier, 
from Philippians 3 is a wonderful statement of that. What do we consider gain now? What do we consider loss now? What do we want to participate in? Well, Paul says, I actually want to know what it's like to die with Jesus. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I've often thought, well, what was Jesus like in his death? And I arrive at trusting, loving, humble. He was dying in this incredible act of self-giving love. Paul says, I want to be like that by the power of the resurrection. As those co-crucified ones, we are secondly people who refuse pride and boastfulness. That's for children, Paul says. That does not characterise new creation. Not only that, we refuse hostility and retribution. That's for babies, Paul says. That's the old order. We know about love and inclusion and friendship and forgiveness and reconciliation and self-sacrifice. We refuse pride. We refuse boastfulness. We refuse hostility. We refuse retribution, Paul says. We are the people of the already present future. And so when folks look at our lives, big call this, they see what humans are going to be like and are becoming like who will rule the world in the future in Christ. They're getting a foretaste of the glory of God when they look at the people of God now. Therefore, we become people of genuine hope and substantial, real imagination. In that sense, in the 21st century, we are radically countercultural. We're agents of newness in the midst of an old order that is passing away. Can I implore you to go home and think deeply on what it means to be co-crucified? This is one theologian's description of righteousness. He argues that righteousness is living out of co-crucifixion with Christ. I want to finish today then with the words of a hymn, which you'll know I'm just going to read them today. But these were written by a young man named Isaac Watts. You've probably heard this hymn many times, and yet you might not know the story of Watts. He was a young person with every reason to boast. He had a glorious future. He was an extremely bright talented young fellow. He learnt Latin at the age of five. He learnt Greek at the age of nine. He had French down by the age of 11 and at the age of 12 he learnt Hebrew. This was a man destined for high academic influence. Latin, Greek, French, Hebrew. He was a linguist of note a student of considerable calibre. He came to Christ and wrote a hymn which he initially called Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. Not a hymn title that went down that well, perhaps. It came to be known as When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Here is what Isaac Watts wrote. Out of his own discovery of life as a co-crucified one, 
and his own appreciation of the cross. He writes, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, he's quoting Galatians 6, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, all those childish yesteryear things, I sacrifice them to his blood. And here's his imagination now. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He has exactly captured, I think, the heart of the scripture writers of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 this morning. Once our imagination is captured by this crucifixion of Jesus, we cannot settle for children's things. We can't settle for vain things. We've put them aside, the world of boastfulness and of hostility and enmity. We're living in a whole new realm of humanness and may grace and mercy be upon all who live this way. Peace and mercy, says Paul. Please go home and keep reflecting. Let me just close in a word of prayer. Father, we are amazed at the beautiful words of Scripture and uh, the shocking words of Scripture that usher us into a whole new way of being through the awful event of crucifixion. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us to know what that really means for us in the 21st century where pride, boastfulness, violence and enmity are still so well represented by the petty gods So thank you, Lord, for the great scriptures and for the wonderful story of the gospel. May we live out of it faithfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shaw Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz